This is Calvin, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. You've accessed the Do You Know Show, and we're bringing you bits of knowledge and information you might not have heard from people you might not know. One thing I must let you know, though, is that the views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this show and others, please log on to KUCI.org. Hey, how you guys doing out there in Radio Land? And uh, we're here with Professor Young Chin, and he's going to discuss Chinese food. We want you to listen very closely as he talks about the rise of Chinese food in America and also its relationship to and impact on the American socioeconomic lifestyle. We're here with Dr. Chen right now. Dr. Chen, let us know a little bit about how you got into the uh, realm of Chinese food and uh, a little bit about how you came to America and realized that that was, I guess we call it a hidden passion of yours. At a personal level, ever since I came to the U.S. in 1985, right, I realized how important food is okay. as a marker of my identity and also as a way for me to understand American history mm-hmm. and society. Okay. You know, American history is what I study. American society is what I try to understand. And then I realized that food, especially Chinese food, was a great vehicle through <laughs> which to understand what I wanted to study. Okay, and also it gave gave me an opportunity to to eat mm-hmm. everywhere without feeling uh, guilty. Okay, okay, okay. And so when you um when you decided to write this book, what 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 is it that was your major objective in in in, in other people being able to read, uh, to read the book? I mean, I I I'm sure that some of it had to do with food, but was there anything else aside from food that it addressed? Yeah, first of all, you know, it started with my search for what we call authentic Chinese food, and the, the, the adjective authentic is problematic, right? Okay. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I started to look around and uh, f- trying to find the food that, that I was familiar with, right? Uh-huh. And then in that journey, you know, I realized that there are so many Chinese restaurants in the U.S. Okay. And then I discovered that uh, ever since the beginning of the 20th century, there have been so many Chinese restaurants in every small town, every city mm-hmm. in the U.S. And people like Sun Yat-sen, the founder of the Republic of China, okay. asked the question, why there are so many Chinese restaurants mm. in the U.S.? So I started to look into that. Okay. And then I discovered that the rise of Chinese food in the U.S. is a very important chapter mm-hmm. in the transformation of American society, of the American way of life. Okay. Okay. So where did it where did it start? Because from my understanding, it started in San Francisco. I'm not sure, but where you know it started the, yeah yeah around yeah, in okay. and around San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the uh, the uh, main en- uh, port of entry okay. for Chinese, and okay. a lot of Chinese also traveled uh, uh, back to China through the port of San Francisco. Okay. There okay. has been a large, very significant Chinatown mm-hmm. in that city, mm-hmm. and this is why you know Chinese food started to to be first uh, transplanted. Okay, okay. Over there, yeah. Yeah, and so um, I, I understand that it at first, in the beginning, it wasn't, I mean, the American people didn't really accept it as part of their, you know, their No, their not at all, not at all, right? <laughs> that <laughs> that goes that back change. to the question of uh, why Chinese food was so, has been so popular in the U.S., uh-huh. right? 
And people like uh, uh, Sun Yat-sen said, you know, this is all because of of the fact that Chinese food is, is number one in the U.S., <laughs> right? Okay. We Chinese don't dispute that notion. <laughs> okay. But if you look carefully, you know, that's not the case because Americans for a long time rejected mm-hmm. Chinese food for more than half a century. Is that right? Yeah, the rejection goes back to the early 19th century when Americans, you know, merchants and missionaries, they went to China and they developed a very negative perception of Chinese culture. Mm. And food is a very important part of that cu- uh, culture. So people, uh, people, have been, people were saying for a long time that Chinese food was uh, repulsive. No kidding. Like the Chinese ate rats, snakes, dogs. Yeah, yeah, I've heard right, that. Very, very exotic, <laughs> very weird people, uh, right? We don't, uh, we don't want their food. Right. We don't want to be associated with their food. We don't want to, want to be near their, uh, their restaurants. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So when did the change come about? The change uh, came about late in the 19th century when the mm-hmm. U.S. economy started to, uh, to take off. Right, mm. the U.S. started uh, to overtake Britain as the number one manufacturer okay. uh, in the world, and mm-hmm. also the uh, the most powerful financial mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, country okay. in the world. Right, okay. so people started to have money. Mm-hmm. Right, when they ha- have money, two things happen. First of all, people want to travel. Okay, uh, um, so people, rich people, they went to Europe on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. What about People like me, you know, poor people, working uh-huh. class people, immigrants, okay. right? They couldn't afford to go overseas on a regular basis mm-hmm. to to see and and taste exotic things, right? Okay. So they found ethnic communities. Okay. And Chinatown was the most <laughs> exotic, to a certain degree, excitingly dangerous place. Okay. In American cities to see, so going to to see things in Chinatown became a very popular thing to do mm-hmm. around the turn of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. So a lot, it, it, uh, it happened almost simu- simultaneously in Chicago, Detroit, St. Louis, San Francisco, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. Philadelphia, in all over the country. You know, people, people have organized uh, tours to go to Chinatown where they saw staged opium dance, theaters, and uh, of course, they went to China, Chinese restaurants mm, to mm. have a taste of Chinese food in wow. many cases for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, but that's not the only part of the story, right? If Chinese food became popular only because of tourism, mm-hmm. right, all Chinese restaurants would have stayed within Chinatowns across the nation. But as we all know, Chinese restaurants ventured out right. to, Ameri- to African-American right. neighborhoods, to Jewish right. neighborhoods, right. To, to every corner of, mm-hmm. uh, of cities and towns, right? Mm-hmm. So, so what happened is um, as people had money with the transformation of, of, of the American economy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted to, to sort of uh, emulate the lifestyle of the rich. Right. A very important part of the lifestyle of the rich mm-hmm. was to have their meals prepared by somebody else. <laughs> Right. Okay. Right. Right. But, but people like me and you, right? Mm-hmm. We cannot afford to have servants like right. rich and powerful. Right. 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 So what what uh, happened was uh, uh, they went to restaurants, mm-hmm. and so the chi- the rise of Chinese food responded to that. Yeah. To that. To need, that desire. To that need. growing yeah, desire yeah, yeah. of uh, of middle class Americans, of uh, immigrant Americans, of the working class, of African Americans. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of different groups. Wow, that is so amazing because I've never ever, and I'm sure a lot of my listeners haven't as well, you know, even looked at it from that perspective of being able to go to China 
through means of eating Chinese food, right. you know. It, that's, right. that's, you that's you could go to China without having <laughs> right. to cross having the to, Pacific yes. Ocean right? yes. by going yes. to a Chinese restaurant. Yes, yes. And, 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 and it, you also mentioned something I think is very important, that we have certain uh, ideas about certain things, and once we hear something like Chinese food is, is not good for you, they, they make it with rats or cats or whatever the case might be, we believe that, you know what I mean, until something happens to change our, our, our looking at it from that perspective. And one of the things is trying it you know what i mean and people don't do things because somebody said they shouldn't but they don't even give give themselves an opportunity to 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 take a look at that how do you think that 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 was addressed in terms of people who you know like you say they they were were you know just in chinatown but chinese started moving outside of chinatown to other areas of this you know respective cities how did they how did they view that and why would they take want to take that kind of chance that people might not like their food outside of chinatown Calvin, very good question and mm-hmm. very important one. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that those people who operated Chinese restaurants did was to make their restaurants super clean. Oh, okay. At the turn of the century, mm-hmm. American cities were dirty places. Oh, yeah. Filthy places. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. smelled also, right? Okay. Bad. Okay. okay. And many restaurants were like that too. Mm-hmm. Okay, very dirty because people didn't care about it. Right. Right. But Chinese restaurants, the people who operated those restaurants mm-hmm. made a very, very conscious effort to keep their places very, very extremely clean, impeccably yeah. clean. Right. And they also wanted their customers to see that. Mm-hmm. So they had what we now call open kitchen. Yeah, yeah, they right? still have them. So yeah. they still have them. Right? <laughs> yeah. So a customer, a non-Chinese customer, goes into a Chinese <laughs> restaurant, right? You can see everything. Right. That's happening in the kitchen. Right. You right. say, okay, there, there's no rats. Right. No, no dog no bones. No dogs. <laughs> no snakes. Yeah. Right. Crawling around. Yeah. It's yeah. a super clean place. Okay. So that's okay. one of the things that, that they did. Another thing that they did was to offer their food at a very, very expensive price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So very convenient, fast. Right. right. So in, in other words, uh, Chinese food was the uh, the forerunner of uh, American fast food. Wow. Was uh, chop suey was the cinnamon, uh, mm-hmm. a synonym of mm-hmm. uh, Chinese uh, Chinese food at okay. the time for many okay. uh, many years. Okay. Right. Okay. So what pe- well, in those years, you know, when people go to went to Chinese a uh, Chinese restaurant, they mm-hmm. don't say let's go to have Chinese. Mm-hmm. They say let's go to have uh, uh, chop suey. Yeah. Tell right. me, I I I I I've always wondered about this because I heard that chop suey was not a, an original Chinese cuisine. What that it was made in America, so to speak. So give us give us the truth on that. What, what's up with that? Right. Well, people um, who are in their late 30s, 40s, and 50s and have a very, very vivid memory of how important chop suey was. Right? Okay. Um, now we don't have it in, the, in, in New York City, in, in Los Angeles, and Chicago, major, uh, major um, um, dining places. Okay. But it used to be very, very big. And uh, uh, it was the first commercialized branding name oh really food a brand in okay. the realm of food consumption mm-hmm. in other words chop suey was the big mac it okay. was that big okay in the pre-mcdonald's era wow right so because of that and a lot of people have asked the same question the question that you just asked mm-hmm. me <laughs> was it chinese or was it american <laughs> i think it's both okay this okay. is why the story is so fascinating okay chop suey actually um when it is a uh, uh sort of in reference to a cooking method. It's mm-hmm. very Chinese. Okay. Uh, it's basically stir-fry. Okay. Sort of Americanized 
stir mm-hmm. fry, okay. right? Okay. It, it's more watery yeah, than yeah. the Chinese version. I got you. Yeah, with yeah. a little gravy and that kind of thing. In, in that kind it. of thing, okay. yeah. People okay. may, may sometimes add more sugar, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. But as a way of cooking, as a stir fry, mm-hmm. uh, it's um, one of the defining elements of what we call Chinese food. Okay. It started okay. to emerge uh, mm-hmm. many years ago, you know, okay. as early as the Song Dynasty, mm. so long, uh, uh, several hundred years ago. A long, uh, long, very old traditional way of cooking for the Chinese. Mm-hmm. But uh, as a sort of highly commer- uh, commodified, mm-hmm. commercialized, mm-hmm. sort of a, a line of food, right? right? You have chop suey beef, chop suey chicken, chop suey this and that. Mm-hmm. Right? As that, right, this is uh, an American Wow. Invention. Wow. You know, an emerging consumer culture. Man. That, you know, uh, it's amazing. And, I and, and you know, I mentioned that you were a professor at the beginning of the show, but uh, people don't know, uh, your, you know, what, what it is that you do. And you're a history professor. Yes, sir. And, I and, am. And, 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 and for me, anyway, uh, a history professor talking about the history of Chinese food, you know, uh, with the idea in mind of, of letting others know basically the truth about Chinese food and the tra- transition that has taken place here in the United States as a result of the influx of both the Chinese people and their cuisine, you know, is, is, is an amazing thing, historically speaking. You know, so what does it mean for you in terms of where do we go from here? You know, the, 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 you, you, you have the history of how, you know, transitions were made in accordance to our income and, and things of that nature, our, our desire to travel and those desires being met right here in America. Right. So what do you see in terms of the future? Is Chinese food here to stay or, you know, what? <laughs> uh, historians don't talk about the future, but yeah, let me give it a right. try. Okay. Let me give it a try, Calvin. Yeah. Um, the, you know, there are the it's so important to talk about the history of Chinese food uh-huh, right, because uh-huh. it can help us understand American history. It also can help uh, help us understand the geopolitical, the geoeconomic order mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that has been in place since the mid-19th century, right? Oh, it is okay. that order that sort of governs our life, mm-hmm. you know, governs how things are run in our world, okay. right? So in that order, we have consumers mm. who are members, you know, who are citizens of the West. Right. right, and then we have producers, we have servants, mm-hmm. right, who are citizens of uh, developing countries like China. Okay. So in this historical, geographic, uh, a geopolitical, a geoeconomic o- order, mm-hmm. China was basically or has been until recently s- the supplier, the main one of the main suppliers of cheap labor. Right. Right. And uh, 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 Western countries like the U.S. Mm-hmm. have benefited from that yeah, man, uh, for a long a time. So yeah. this is, and and that order has not changed. Okay, has okay. not changed. Mm-hmm. So this is why, this is why Chinese food has remained mm. for decades okay. at the lower end. Okay, okay, of the hierarchy of mm-hmm. food consumption mm-hmm. in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, Italian food started uh, later than Chinese, but start, started at the same level. In terms of, of that hierarchy, no kid, as the Chinese food, no kid, as Chinese food, right? But now look at Italian food; it's sort of it, it has become upscale. Yeah, yeah. By comparison, Chinese food has stayed where it had been from the very, very beginning. That's amazing. Yeah. So, that so you're saying basically with, yeah. that the like Italian cuisine uh, uh, and other ones uh, that you know you go out to eat 
back, you know, 40, 50 years ago, it wasn't nearly as expensive as it is today. And Chinese food is pretty much on the same, the same. level as it was uh, yeah, yeah. years ago. On the same level. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, it has to do with the, also the socioeconomic status mm -hmm. of uh, the immigrant groups okay. that provided their food. Okay. Right? So Italian Americans have improved their social economic yeah, political status in, in the U.S. significantly, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whereas the Chinese, they have not. Mm -hmm, they have mm -hmm, not. Mm -hmm. So where Chinese food goes, in, in what direction, right? Mm -hmm. Up or, uh, or down, right, right. it depends on geopolitical right, issues right, right, on, right. On, you know, on a global scale, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. If China continues to improve its economy, right. right? If the political uh, status of Chinese Americans continues to improve, mm -hmm. we're going to see more upscale fine dining Chinese restaurants. Chinese. <laughs> Nowadays, it's very <laughs> difficult to find one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the ones that we've had are not doing that great. Okay. Right? Some okay. have closed down. Mm. Uh, like mm. you just came back from San Francisco. Yeah, right. Right. There, uh, there used to be a fabulous upscale fine dining Chinese restaurant. Mm -hmm. It's called uh, uh, Tommy Toys. Okay. Right. It, it sort of serves. It served Chinese uh, um, traditional Chinese food mm -hmm. in a fine dining uh, environment. Mm -hmm. But after 26 years, man, you know, could, could not could survive. Not. Wow. Because, you know, our perception of Chinese food. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's inexpensive. Inexpensive. It has no connection to fine dining whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me this uh, in terms, because, I, you know, I, I, uh, I lived in Chicago for basically all my life. And when I would go to Chinatown, I was informed that, you know, when you go to Chinatown, go to the restaurant where you see the majority of Chinese eating, you know, <laughs> as opposed yeah. to going. <laughs> but that can be Do misleading. See, can yeah. it be misleading? Well, so, what, what, well, my question basically is, uh, what is it uh, in terms of your relation to Chinese food that has remained the same or changed in terms of you coming to America and being exposed to all the different types of food? What 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 is your 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 uh, your fondness? Is it still the same as it used to be, or are things changing for you personally? I wanted to say that I have never changed. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but in reality, I have. Yeah, you know, I've I've started. Uh, I've learned to love. Uh, Vietnamese food, okay. Korean food, okay. Japanese, mm -hmm. Thai, mm -hmm. Italian, mm -hmm. Cajun, mm -hmm. you know, to, to name a few. Okay. Right. So so uh, sort of uh, coming to America has mm -hmm. broadened my yes, horizons. Yes. And okay. from that you can also see, you know, that that my identity. Mm -hmm. You know, the sort of inside me okay. has been okay. enriched by okay. American yes. uh, okay. by, by American journey. I got you. By American okay. experience. Okay. Yeah. So uh yeah, certainly it has changed. Mm -hmm. But Chinese food itself has also changed. Okay, how so? Yeah, because, um, for example, you know, when I went back to, to, to China for the first time after uh, 13 years mm -hmm. in 1997, okay. right, the, the China that I, that I used to know, mm -hmm. right, the food that I, that I was familiar with mm -hmm. were long gone. Oh, man. Right, so people are, people are, people are uh, you know, what means to be Chinese food mm -hmm. today, mm -hmm. it's very different from what you meant to be Chinese wow. food in the past. Okay. And in the gastronomical market mm -hmm. landscape, mm -hmm. in Shanghai, in Be Beijing, uh, it has become very, very cosmopolitan. And people mm -hmm. are doing like fusion, so people are blending different cu uh, regional cuisines mm -hmm. within China. Mm -hmm. People are also are blending different uh, national cuisines okay. in the Chinese dining okay. market. It's yeah. exciting. You should go yeah, to Shanghai. Sure, you're you're going sure. okay. to enjoy the restaurants <laughs> over there. Okay. Now, uh, now, now, let's get back to your book. Um, when you, you just finished this book here lately? or Yeah, I just finished this book. It came out, I think, about two weeks ago. Okay, okay. And you, you had, had written a previous book about Chinese restaurants. Am I right? 
No, I've okay. I've written about uh, Chinese communities in the U.S. Articles on on Chinese. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Ar- articles okay. on okay. Chinese restaurants. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. I work okay. with Chinese re- mm-hmm. restaurant owners too. Mm-hmm. And so that w- what I'm hearing basically is that you've done a lot of research and a lot of visiting and a lot of uh, interacting eating. with a lot people. of eating, a lot too. of eating <laughs> as well. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, what have you found to be pretty much the 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 mainstay of Chinese people? And, and Chinese cuisine being t- maintaining the position that it has, uh, not only in America, because you can go to other countries and get Chinese food as well. You know, uh, what do you see as the as the as the as the bottom line in terms of that being able to stay? Because there's a thing that 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 we African-Americans eat called soul food. <laughs> I love I'm sure soul you're food. familiar with, you know, <laughs> I love soul food. Yeah. yeah. And it's I a was movie. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I was in I was in uh, uh, Atlanta and, and there's a place outside of Atlanta that's a soul food restaurant. And uh, uh, it was very well known. But what wasn't known is that uh, a, a guy from Japan bought the restaurant and maintained the, the soul food. But he asked the woman who owned it to stay behind and teach his cooks how to prepare soul food for a year. And he paid her to do that. And so they, they pretty much perfected what we like in soul food. But even, even in that, there's not a lot, nearly as many as soul food restaurants as there used to be. And as, as you talked about the Italians and that kind of thing, what is it besides the, the, the cost of it uh, in terms of uh, the attitude of Chinese restaurant owners in terms of of, of that of that uh, type of food to be consistent as it has been for a, a number of years and 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 you mentioned the cleanliness and th- that kind of thing but is there another kind of attitude that that the uh, restaurant owners have that might point to why they're so successful in what it is that they're doing? Um, there are there are several things mm-hmm. that are going on right now. Okay. Right. First of all, uh, it is. Um, uh, well, first of all, many Chinese restaurant o- owners mm-hmm. are trying to uh, bring to to blend different oh, uh, different yeah. national cuisines okay, okay. In, into one one restaurant. Okay, right? so we okay. see that in a lot of uh, all you can eat places, mm-hmm. and we a lot of Chinese Americans like um, chefs like Min Chai, you know, they have become sort of a celebrity chefs offering okay, okay. Uh, fusion food. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and in his uh, restaurant, uh, uh, one of his restaurants, uh, Blue Ginger, f- uh, for example. Okay. Right, you can see sort of you can uh, detect a very sort of invisible, almost distant uh, background mm-hmm. of Asian cooking. Mm-hmm. Right, but has become so uh, blended with other cuisines. You don't okay. you don't see that very so very clearly, not in a very visible way. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's one thing: blending fusion food. Okay. Okay. Um, that is a, that is a very exciting development that okay. is going on mm-hmm. uh, among Chinese restaurant uh, owners. Uh, another trend that has become very popular is that popular, ex- extremely important restaurants, famous restaurants in Taiwan, in China, are now coming to the U.S. Oh, Come to I the see, US. I see. And uh, so they offered the sort of the best mm, fine dining mm. in the Chinese tradition okay. to U.S. Cu- uh, oh, customers. Man. One of them, uh, Kevin, you should go to try this. Uh, uh, it, uh, it, it, a recent, uh, recently opened restaurant in South Coast it's called Din Tai Fung. It's a fabulous, a legendary restaurant uh, started in Taiwan. And uh, that restaurant um, has opened, operated two branches in uh, uh, Acadia. Mm-hmm. In Acadia. Now, they just opened uh, 
a new branch in South wow. Coast. Okay. I haven't you had haven't the time <laughs> and the courage to go there because I heard it's so crowded. Oh, really? Right. So, so, th- so this kind of blending, mm-hmm. right, is also uh, happening among consumers. Okay. Among diners, right? Okay. They want things authentically Chinese. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this cultural blending, cultural cr- crossing, is happening in in a lot of ways. Okay. And a lot of non-Chinese are operating and working in Chinese restaurants. Mm, mm. One of the Din Tai Fung uh, stores in Acadia, for example, many of its um, workers are Mexican Americans. <laughs> Yeah. They are making okay. the best okay. Chinese food that we can okay. have in the U.S. Imagine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I man, we we run out of time, but I am I am so impressed with what you've you've given us, man. Because um, you know, I have a new. <laughs> I'm gonna buy some Chinese food, man. I'm gonna eat it differently than I've ever ate it because now I know the history of Chinese food, and and not only the history of it, but also like you you just mentioned that like the economic side of it. People have jobs because of Chinese food in this country. You know what I mean? And and so th- the economy is thriving as a result of us eating Chinese food, which is a, 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 a something I never even considered. You know what I mean? And and I just want to thank you for you know for even. Uh, thinking about writing something of this nature because usually people don't even think about uh, the things that we're doing on a regular basis and the history of those things and 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 the ramifications of them. You know what I mean? And so I want to continue to support uh, the the Chinese food movement. <laughs> you know, Thank you. mainly because I like Chinese food. You Let's know? go <laughs> together. Let's do that. Support yeah, Chinese absolutely. food together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So give us a give us the title of your book one more time and where we can access it and 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 so the listening audience will be aware and and I want you guys to know before he gives you that that I'm definitely gonna gonna get this book and read it and you're gonna be hearing more about it on my show so give us that that information if you don't mind Chop Suey USA the story of Chinese food in America published by Columbia University Press available in Amazon.com and on the website of Columbia University Press. Thank you, Calvin. Oh man, wonderful. thank thank you so much. Thank you so much. Is there anything that you might want to say to the to the listening audience with a, a word of encouragement or advice or whatever? Just try different Chinese restaurants. <laughs> okay. You know, the old Chinese restaurants were all Cantonese. Now we have a variety of Chinese restaurants okay. coming not just from the provinces okay. within China, okay. but also different communities within the Chinese diaspora throughout the world. Okay, okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Young Chen, you guys. And be sure to get a copy of that book. Okay, we'll talk later, man. Thanks so much. All right. Um, you're listening to the second half of the Do You Know show. And um, what I need for you to know is that the views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. If you want to find out more about this show and others, please log on to KUCI.org. Uh, okay, I don't know if you guys were able to um, tune in to the to the show we just did a, a minute ago, um, but we had a Dr. Chong here on uh, on the show, and um, Young Chen, I'm sorry, Professor Young Chen on the show, and he was discussing the rise of Chinese food in America, and it was a very enlightening uh, opportunity for me 
to understand that there's a lot more to eating than just the act itself. You know, it's a lot of things that we are not aware of in terms of the food that we eat. And today we had a wonderful opportunity to get an idea of, of the history of Chinese food and where uh, where it's headed. And I personally love me some Chinese <laughs> food and it's good to get some information in terms of, 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 of how this whole thing started. Uh, you can, you know, you can access uh, KUCI.org and, and get that um that recording uh, in, you know, to sometime tomorrow. And uh, I think you'd be very interested because I know a lot of people eat Chinese food. A lot of people uh, like Chinese food. And if you want to know anything about it, uh, you can you can definitely tune in and listen to what we covered on the show. And then you can always uh, get uh, his book, um, Chop Suey. And uh, I'm sure that you'll be glad that you did glad that you did. I'm going to do a little something here, as you uh, are aware of, and some of you aren't aware of, that I do a blog every week, and that blog is um, uh, talked about on this show, and uh, what I'm going to do first is to read the blog to you, and then uh, we're going to discuss it in a little bit in detail. Um, it's amazing, not amazing, I guess, but um, it, it it's in line with... Um, with eating, you know, but it's another form of eating uh, that I've indulged in. And I just want to share that with you um, and, and, and give you some insight into uh, how Calvin relates his eating habits to his well-being. <laughs> and the name of this is I Still Scream for Ice Cream. <laughs> I Still Scream for Ice Cream. Let me read that to you guys. In 1986, after having shot dope for 18 years, I started eating Haagen-Dazs ice cream almost every night until 2007 when I was informed that dairy products highly contributed to the mucus buildup and ensuing colds that were occurring in my life on a regular basis. Not realizing that the sugar content was a major threat to my well-being, I switched to a soy-based frozen dessert until I saw a documentary addressing the Monsanto monopoly on genetically modified soybeans. And then I substituted the soy variety for an almond-based product. In the meantime, I had developed a chronic itching, the cause of which was not ascertained until I was diagnosed with cancer in January of this year, that is 2014. Mind you, my figurative screaming for a frosty dessert every night was still strong, by abstain from this frozen frenzy until my chemo treatments ended this past May. Since that time, I've indulged in a coconut-based frozen dessert probably once a month. And as I sit here finishing a pint of almond mocha fudge, I'm feeling no remorse, simply reflecting on the realization that I have an addictive behavior which stems from a fervent desire to feel good. What's ironic about all of this is that I'm experiencing a significant degree of pleasure by my sharing this situation with you. Now, I don't know what you do to feel good, and only you can determine if you do too much of it. But of one thing, I'm sure moderation is the key for me when it comes to balancing the amount of pleasure I can experience without risking the onset of subsequent pain. Now, there are many avenues available for meeting our desires to feel good, and food, sex, television, the Internet, 
alcohol, significant others, religion, exercise, money, school, jobs, cigarettes, drugs, both legal and otherwise, gambling, shopping for clothes, people pleasing, and acquiring attention and fame are just a few of those. They are all potentially addictive pursuits, however, that can ultimately lead us to possibly precarious positions. An overconsumption of heroin and sugar has negatively altered my physical condition and has had a yet undocumented bearing on my mental and spiritual well-being. There are also a number of the aforementioned addictions that I have indulged in and that are still calling for my attention. I am aware, however, that half the struggle in abstaining from or at least moderating my participation in what it is that I do is the unconditional acceptance of my being prone to overdoing it. Life is a wonderfully enlightening experience and the understanding that we can take a disheartening situation and alter it into a beneficial opportunity is part and parcel of what makes the world go round. Constantly reminding ourselves that we can take life's lemons and make lemonade can enhance our capabilities for turning the bitter into the sweet. It goes without saying that we have all overindulged in one thing or another and that we continue to do so on a regular basis. It's also quite obvious that many of us know we're about to involve ourselves in something that is going to cause us harm, yet we do it anyway. We say things like, yeah, I know I'm a diabetic, but, or my blood pressure ain't that high today, so, or my money's funny, but I'm gonna, or even they're just haters and just want me to, to blank, blank. <laughs> And all these statements are feeble attempts to justify doing what we know is going to cause us harm. And all the time, we are aware of the fact that the end result is going to be accompanied by intense feelings of guilt and remorse. The upside, however, is that we can objectively share our problematic outcomes with someone else. We can ask them how they address similar situations, and collaboratively, we can devise a means for altering or at least moderating our behavior. Now, my... Life personally has been one of, 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 as I said, heroin and sugar, and I've overdosed on heroin a few times, and by the grace of God, I'm still here. I've inadvertently abused my mind and body through other means and have consequently been told that I had a maximum of six months to live if I didn't get a minimum of six chemotherapy treatments. And then I was told after having not received the sixth treatment that if I had received it, I might have died. So God's grace has definitely kept me here and is by this same grace that I'm able to channel some of my addictive behavior into hosting this radio show and writing these blogs for you. Granted, I'm still doing stuff that isn't always in my best interest, but the more I focus on doing stuff for others, the better I feel about me and the pleasure I selfishly sought for myself is exponentially intensified when I seek it for someone else. That's where I am right now, y'all, still screaming, but not so loud. I'll holler. Okay. Um, I, I, I wrote that thing and, and I was, uh, let me, let me tell you a little bit about, about my experience. And, and I'm, and I'm happy to know that, uh, that the things that I'm feeling in terms of, of my addictions are shared with other people, even though it's not, uh, not, not talked about a lot of times. And the things that we are uh, uh, addicted to, a lot of times we don't even realize it without someone making us aware of it. And even then we are in denial. And I'm not talking about a river in Egypt, you know. 
Um, and it's amazing to me that in, 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 in sitting and eating that ice cream that I was able to do it without guilt, without remorse, and then to understand what it is that was the underlying factor in my doing so. You know, and, 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 and that underlying factor, as I mentioned in the blog, is, is, is a desire to feel good, you know, and all of us have that desire. Everybody wants to feel good, you know, but it gets to a point for some of us where that desire goes beyond uh, what we had intended, and then we wind up being a place in a place that we feel so uncomfortable about. So to be able to be in a place where I'm doing something I know that I probably shouldn't do, <laughs> you know, but not to feel any remorse about it, gave me an opportunity to really gauge where it is that I am right now and, and uh, the hopes that I have for, for, for the future. And I just want to share with you, the, you know, the, the things that I've gone through. I've gone to, um, let me just give you an example. Like uh, was mentioned on the show before, I, uh, you know, we were in San Francisco and got back yesterday, as a matter of fact, last night. And while in San Francisco, uh, my first thing wherever I go is to find a Whole Foods. I don't I don't care if it's out of the country. If they got a Whole Foods there. I'm going there. And the reason for that is because um, I love frozen desserts, y'all. I, I know I'm addicted to, to ice cream uh, at the onset. And now any type of frozen dessert that resembles it, uh, I, I'm, I'm, that's where I am today. And so the reason I go to Whole Foods is because they have ice cream that that touts the fact that it has doesn't have uh sugar in it you know uh granulated processed sugar you know and they scream about the ingredients that they have in terms of that sugar which are you know uh cane sugar uh cane syrup uh uh and other other ingredients that uh that you know the names of which uh are, are not very attractive like uh erythrol uh and 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 other products that are made from corn syrup which i just became aware of and so things uh, like like agave and uh, also um, other products that are supposedly uh, not sugar but sugar substitutes uh, are really uh, still detrimental to our health. And so here I am thinking that you know that because I you know I, I couldn't do the the milk thing anymore. I, I decided that I would do soy, and then I looked at the soy and said I can't do that because uh, Monsanto is 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 doing the GMO thing with all soy and corn products, you know. And so then I go to the almond based product, and then uh, some things happen in terms of my of my life and my health that let me know that perhaps I should leave that that alone and then in reading and researching about the sugars the different types of sugars that are are in these products and are still detrimental to your health you know gave me a new a new perspective on what it is that I should do but understanding all of y'all that it didn't mean that I was going to do what I should do and so I decided that you know I I don't know how I'm going to stop doing this and I'm looking for help from y'all if anybody <laughs> Any idea how that might happen? I'll be glad to to hear it. But I've I've come to the conclusion that the key to my well-being is moderation. And so I go in in in, in Whole Foods in in San Francisco, and I pick up a you know I look at all the ice cream, I read all the labels, and I decide which has the least amount of sugar. And then that's the one I decide to buy. And then something happens, and I say, you know what? I ain't eat no ice cream today. And I put it back. I did that twice while I was here out in San Francisco, y'all. And I was there for like. 10 days, and I'm so proud of myself. I just want to share that with y'all that I was able to put ice cream back. But what's so amazing about it, I, you know, that particular night, 
<laughs> I wasn't able to put it back, nor did I attempt to put it back, you know, and 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 subsequently I'm sitting there eating ice cream and understanding that Calvin, it's okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's okay. Because you you have realized now that you have this addiction. You 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 have realized that it's not gonna be uh, uh addressed by in the same way that you did the heroin, you know, because I don't I don't do heroin no more, y'all. I just don't do it. You know what I mean? And alcohol, none of that stuff. But it's something about a desire to have a, a kind of like, I guess, a substitute for the things that we do. You know, a, a, another means for experiencing pleasure that we involve ourselves in. And we have to be very, very careful not to overindulge, you know, because as, as I said in, in, in the blog, I've, I've OD quite a few times, you know, and, and a, a, a young lady, Mrs. B. Willie Brown, said to me one time, Calvin, it looks like you overdid it, huh? And that 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 state has stayed with me. And now I'm, I'm, I'm looking at what she said because I laughed at the time because I, I, I considered myself having overdosed. But what she said was that I overdid it. And that's exactly what that was. So it doesn't have to be heroin that we that is all we overdose from, you know, or drugs. That's all we overdose from. You know, sometimes we overdose from buying too many clothes. You know, from getting, you know, that 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 weave tightened up, you know what I'm saying, from from going out and 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 and, and buying uh, things that we really know that we don't need from getting in debt with stuff that we know we don't need. Just things that, you know, make us feel good. And I, I don't know how many of you have done this, but I've gone to the extent of buying a brand new spanking car, you know, and and driving it off that lot. And within a week. I see another one that I want. You know what I'm saying? And 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 it's just amazing to me how we allow ourselves to get in, in to get to become a part of of that uh that 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 rat race of always seeking to feel good and doing whatever it is that we can to make that happen. You know, and I mentioned a a, a number of things that we involve ourselves in that become uh, uh, uh addictive for us, you know, but the fact of the matter is it's all about the basic premise of feeling good you know and what does it take to feel good it's a it's amazing to me that i I mentioned heroin and sugar and i don't know if you guys know but but it's i mean there's countless uh um information on how sugar and salt are both addictive uh components of our daily meal you know and a lot of times we're not even realizing the the addictive effect that it has on us but try going try doing something that you do with sugar try to stop doing it and see how it affects you you know stop putting salt on your food and see how it tastes then you know and 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 we'll get an idea of how addicted we are to it. And then if you start reading labels, you know, and, and, and learn the different types of sugar that there are, even the sugar st- substitutes like Splenda and that kind of thing, and understand that, that there are problems with those things. And one of the major problems is that they can be, be addictive. You know, and and in in reading labels, and I I'm really prone to reading labels nowadays. Uh, there are very 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 few products on the market that do not have sugar or sodium in them. Very very few. And these, as I said, are both uh, addictive. And what is it that we can do about it unless we begin to understand that they are addictive and do what we can to kind of uh, uh, avoid them as best we can. And that's where I am right now, y'all. Not not you know not necessarily stopping doing stuff but being aware of what it is I'm doing being aware of the harm that is causing me and doing what I can to at least moderate what it is that I do something that I mentioned also in the blog was uh, uh I think of, of of major importance and I was talking to um uh 
uh, Young Chin earlier, as I said, about uh, Chinese food, and it has nothing. This has nothing to do with addiction, but just the the, the fact of of talking to him and understanding that communication is so very important today in our world and probably always has been. You know, just, just, just I mean, it was a positive thing with, with, with him because we communicated about the history of Chinese food in this country, how it developed, you know, how it was uh, rejected at first and then it caught on. And then because of, of the amount of money that it caused, that being, a, you know, little or nothing, you know, pretty much, uh, people were prone not having a lot of money to eating Chinese food. And as he mentioned, in the course of eating Chinese food, they had this sense of being in China, of having traveled to another, another country, you know, just by simply going to a Chinese restaurant and being able to afford it. And these are, are, are some of the things that we don't that we really don't look at, but they're very important in terms of, of how we feel about what it is that we do. You know, and from that perspective of looking at the positiveness of of of, of, of eating Chinese food could not have come in, come about unless I had communicated with someone who was aware of the uh, uh, of all the, the the things that are that accompany you know that that eating of that particular cuisine, and um, then we look at what it is that 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 we're doing today uh, in terms of not communicating with other people about the things that we do that might be detrimental to our health and and might be beneficial you know but we're not communicating these things because we don't want anybody to know including ourselves, that we have a problem with these things, you know. And I know out of all those things that I covered in the blog, everybody out there has indulged or possibly overindulged in at least one of them. And as I mentioned, I've been overindulged in, 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 in quite a few of them, you know. But the fact of the matter is, how do I stop it? And the way that I, that I was able to stop doing heroin was communicating my problem with other people. You know, uh, and 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 allowing other people to suggest to me the means I can take in order to stop doing it. You know, and it was a it was a necessary thing for me uh, in terms of my uh, uh, emotional and spiritual well-being, because I, basically I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. That was the bottom line. It wasn't about I need to stop this because I'm spending too much money. I need to stop this because I'm losing my family. I need to stop this because I, you know, my, I, I don't have that Cadillac no more. <laughs> you know what? It wasn't even about that. I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, and I think that's where a lot of us are in terms of what it is that we overdo, you know, and uh, and we have no no uh, knowledge or or information in terms of how to offset it that is comfortable for us. And I'm trying to, to offer that to you. And, and, and that is basically just to be able to communicate with another human being who's facing the same types of things that we're facing, you know. And so it's important for me to you know, make it known that um, what I see as a as a means for my own well-being, you know, to be able to share with someone else, I can derive pleasure from that. You know, I, I and 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 I and you know I I just realized in writing that blog how much pleasure I get from 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 sitting here talking to you guys. I just realized how much pleasure I get from being able to write these blogs and to share them with somebody else. You know, I had a meeting with a young man not long ago today, you know, and it, and it was so I walked away from the meeting, you know, feeling so, so, uh, so good about being able to contribute something to what it is that he was looking for and for him to, 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 to let me know that he appreciated what, I, what it was that I was doing. You know, and, 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 and I've been high in my life. You know, I mean, I mean really high. As a matter of fact, so high that I've OD'd. 
But the pleasure derived from from just another person saying thank you is far better than than any high I've ever experienced. You know, and and it, just like a high, you know, it don't last forever, you know, because we forget, you know, sometimes that we did something and somebody appreciated what we did and we get frustrated. Dang, man, I, I don't feel so good today. My life. What, what What is it about now? You know, what am I doing? What have I done? You know, those things are going to come up. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have a means of dealing with those things. And, and my way of dealing with it is to try and reach out to another human being. And and to and just to 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 revel in the, in the joy that ensues from having done so. And I'm finding that more and more. And 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 the more the more that I do it, the more that I talk to y'all on this radio, the more blogs that I write, you know, the more I find out that uh, these are things that can uh, give us that feel good sense of existence. You know, and uh, it's, it's, it's just amazing to me that we sometimes overlook these things because we are so involved in where we are that we're not looking at the fact that there are millions, you know, billions of people out there who are in the same position. And if we were just to communicate with each other about this, our situations, uh, some resolve can be had and we can gain pleasure from the process, you know, Um it's just amazing to me how how little we need to to be able to subsist uh, in our environment uh, in terms of material things and, and 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 things that make us feel good, you know. And and it gets to the point for us where we feel we need things that are really basically desires. You know what I mean? Uh, I saw a guy on a, a little bitty scooter. It was an electric scooter. He had a lawnmower motor. Uh, a motor the size of a lawnmower and uh, this guy was smiling, breezing along, you know, and uh, and I'm, I'm sure that if he could afford it, he might have had another kind of car, you know, but he probably couldn't. And so this is this was his major means of transportation. I've talked to, to thousands of people, you know, that that ride bikes. And the reason they're riding bikes is because they have no other means of transportation, you know. And then there are uh, uh, countless others who are doing things out of necessity because they can't afford to do anything else and yet and still they wind up being happier than we are you know i was in 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 uh uh a, a town in 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 uh um uh the, the the caribbeans you know and to see the people and the joy that they were experiencing and 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 the little that they had it was just amazing to me and made me feel bad that i thought that i needed to have so many other things you know and and cars clothes uh relationships uh significant others as i mentioned you know uh fame and fortune um, you know, just all these things that are, are, are available to us or that we, we see available to us and, and the thought that we can, you know, gain pleasure if we can just acquire them is, is, is nonsensical. We need very little, y'all, in terms of material goods to make ourselves happy, and they can't really make us happy. But what can make us happy is doing for others, you know, what they can't do for themselves, you know, and, and a simple thing such as, you know, you saying, you know what, I want some ice cream. You know what I mean, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna call so and so and let them know that I'm 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 screaming for this ice cream. What should I do? You know, and and I guarantee you that something beneficial will come from that uh, interaction. Uh, I'm glad, as always, you know, that you guys give me an opportunity to express myself on this program. I'm glad that uh, the the insight and the and the things that I experience uh, are things that I I feel that I can share with you and you can gain something from them, you know, and I'm glad to know that I don't have to scream for ice cream to feel okay. 
Ah, Allah.